Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Everything in this world is broken. Hey, how's that for a pick-me-up this morning? Uh, By way of illustration, Okay, and I want you to put your hands up for this. If you had a vacation this year that got interrupted or messed up in some way by weather or travel or sickness or you know conflict or whatever, not, none of you. Now, I do not believe that. Okay, I see some hands going up. Those of you who didn't put your hands up, how many of you have something broken right now at your house or in your garage or in your yard or in your family or whatever? Yeah, see, there's there's brokenness um, all, all around this. Ecclesi- the book of Ecclesiastes says that everything is broken under the sun. It's, it's, a, it's a really encouraging book to read. It talks about our, our ambitions, um, everything that we do, everything that we build, everything gets broken. And the, the, the biblical explanation of why everything is broken is sin. That from the beginning, when God created everything good, but humans rebelled against his authority, insisted on doing it our own way. Something happened in the fabric of all of creation, you could almost say down to the atomic level, that everything is broken. Everything is not the way it was intended to be. And sometimes that gets very discouraging for us because everywhere we look, things are are broken. Some of you, someone may be here this morning and you are your, your world is so broken, you're just about to give up. And, and I wanna remind you, especially if you're there this morning, that in those moments, you, you need to remember that this world is not all there is. This broken world is not all there is. There is a, a next life. That's not even what I'm talking about. There's a next life that we look forward to where God is gonna wipe away every tear from our eyes. He's gonna heal every disease. He's gonna restore creation completely to being very good as he made it in the first place. That's the next life to come. That's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in this life right now under the sun, it is possible for us to have a connection with our creator that pulls us beyond the immediacy and the brokenness of our world. We're we're gonna, there's an activity that God calls us to, that connects us with him. And we're gonna describe that this morning and we're gonna practice it this morning. And when we engage in this activity, it it pulls us beyond the brokenness to to see God as as he is and, and experience just a little taste of that next life that is to come. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like for you to turn to Revelation 4 and 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there should be one on the seat near you. And this morning, it is, it's particularly important. I say this every Sunday. I ask you to turn. But this morning, it's particularly important that you turn with me. You'll understand why. 
uh, a little bit later. This month we have been in a series looking at four activities that we believe at Grace Point that we need to engage in as followers of Christ in order to become fully committed followers of Christ. Those four activities are worship, worshiping God, connecting with God and with others around us who are following Christ as well, serving others, and then sharing our faith. So we've been looking at these in inverse order, so if you're keeping track, today we're ending with worship. We're talking about worship, and I, my simple definition for worship is that to which we give our best attention and affection and allegiance. Whatever is foremost in your mind, in your heart, in your life, and it could be a person, it could be an ambition, it could be a thing, it could be an object, what do you give your best attention and affection and allegiance to? That's what you are worshiping. So we're gonna look at the Bible's picture, Scripture's picture of worship, and we're gonna do that in the book of Revelation. We studied uh, Revelation through the whole book uh, four years ago now, um, in fall of 2018, those messages are still out on, on the internet if you'd like to listen through those. But I, today we're gonna zero in on Revelation four and five. And I first wanna just highlight the first four words of the book of Revelation. The first four words of the book are the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word of can mean from, the revelation from Jesus Christ, and it is that because he goes on to say, John goes on to say, as he writes verse one of Revelation, he says, it's the revelation from Jesus Christ that God gave him to give to his servants. So it is the revelation from Jesus Christ. But that little word of also can mean about, the revelation about Jesus Christ. And four years ago when we studied this, we said that we see in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus in a way that we haven't seen him before in anywhere else in scripture. In the gospels, we see Jesus humbled as a, he, he, God takes on human flesh, the incarnation, and he humbles himself to the point of death, even the humiliating death on a cross. This is Jesus humbled, vulnerable, sacrificial, in Revelation, we see Jesus glorified. We see him power, empowered and lifted up and honored because of his sacrifice. So we see him in Revelation in a really powerful way. And we should remember that the recipients, the original recipients to the book of Revelation were living under intense persecution. To be a Christ follower in the first century meant, and we, we said this last week if you were here, it meant that you were in danger of being fed to lions um, in the Colosseum for the entertainment of Roman citizens. This is a really sad commentary on humanity that for some reason some people like to watch other people suffering, which is kind of a commentary on our society today too. At least they're not live in a Colosseum, but I'll move on from that. Also, those first century followers of Christ would be tarred and set on fire to be torches in garden parties of Roman emperors. I mean, this was what they were facing. And so into that brokenness, God gives them a revelation of something that is to come, something for them to find their hope in. 
in the midst of this broken world. And so that's what uh, we see as we begin in chapter four, verse one. John writing, he says, after this I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne. If we had time, throne is a central picture, a central theme in the book of Revelation. If we had time, we could count 14 mentions of throne. Just in this chapter, we would count 46 mentions of the throne in the book of of Revelation. It is central to the idea that God is on his throne. This is where God resides, in the place of authority, in the place of, of power, And so what we're about to see, God God is sitting on his throne, and what we're about to read is worship of this God that is unadulterated, untarnished, unlike anything we experience in this world because everything is broken and tarnished by sin, but what we're about to read is a picture of a, a beautiful, unadulterated worship. So let's read on in verse three. He who sat there on the throne had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. John is going to use words like appearance and like a lot because he's struggling for words to describe things that no human being has ever seen, that we have never seen. Verse four, around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. John John is painting a picture here And he he is attempting to redirect our attention from the brokenness of the world around us to the perfection of heaven. See, that's what worship does. Worship bridges from the immediate to the transcendent. Worship bridges us from what what, what we see right around us, what is immediate for us, and it takes us to a transcendent place where, where God is. And to do that, John engages our minds and he engages our imaginations. So we in our tradition, in our setting here, we tend to be pretty comfortable with engaging our minds. Like we, we like to dissect words. We like to find logical arguments. Okay, we're, we're comfortable with that. And that's good because God gave us words and he gave us logic. But John goes beyond that and he also engages our imagination because God also gave us the unique ability to be able to envision things that we have not seen and experienced yet. And so every time I teach on this, I I always go out and I, I search to try to find a picture or a painting or something to capture this scene in Revelation 4 and 5. And every every time I look at a picture, I'm like, nah, that's not it. Eh, that, that's not it. And it's, it's impossible to, to capture. And so I just, I leave it and say, well, we're not gonna have a picture because I want us, we're, we're left to do what God intended for us to do, which is envision this in, in our minds. So we're gonna engage our minds first and then we're gonna engage our, our imaginations. 
There, there are five songs in Revelation 4 and 5. Technically, only one of them says that they sang the song. Okay, so I'm, I'm taking a little bit of liberty here today. Four of them say that they were saying them. But usually when we have multiple people joining in words, expressing words, usually that's a choir or that's us singing together. So we're gonna call them songs this morning. We're gonna look at them one at a time. The first song starts in verse six. Well, the description starts in verse six. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Well, you know, there's eagles right there around the throne. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, here's the song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Let's engage our minds just for a moment on this song. John is connecting back to a scene of God, the true God in Isaiah 6, verse three, and he's describing God where God is described as holy, holy, holy. Oftentimes we, we think of the word holy as referring to moral rightness or moral perfection, and, and it does, that, that's a part of the word, but actually the, the word more fundamentally means other than, set apart, unique, one of a kind. And so God is not just holy, he is not just unique, he is not just one of a kind, he is one of a kind, one of a kind, one of a kind. It gets repeated, holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew mindset, if a word was repeated, it was like underscoring it, emphasizing it. If it's repeated three times, that's the superlative. That is the ultimate. God is one of a kind, unlike anything or anyone else in all the universe. He is unique. So he is holy, holy, holy. The, the fact that it says holy, holy, holy also suggests to us that God exists not just as one person, but as three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So that's the first line. The second line of the song says, who was and is and is to come. So this references God's existence, his self-existence. He was, he is, he is to come. You and I have an existence that stretches out eternally in the forward direction. God's existence stretches out eternally in the forward direction and in the past direction. He has no beginning. He has no source. He is, again, unique. There is no one else like that. He has no source, but he is the source of everything. It's interesting. I will, I'll read sometimes or I'll talk with someone who really wrestles with that concept. How could God have no source? But what's the source of God? I mean, and, and it's understandable, we wrestle with this because you and I have a source. I mean, we all come from someone, we come from somewhere, so it's hard for us to wrap our heads around. But if, if you might be wrestling with that this morning, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, you know, everybody's gotta have a source. Well, I mean, how could, what is God's source? Can I just gently and respectfully say to you, first of all, um, 
why would you expect to understand the, the infinite with, with your brain? Like, we just, of course you don't understand. Of course you can't wrap your head around it. There, there actually is. There actually is there's someone and there are things in this world that are beyond our understanding. I, mean, I don't even understand how my car works. I mean, I just get in it and it usually takes me where, where I'm going. But how, there are things, I suspect, I suspect if you found enough books in the world, you would probably find something too, that there's some, some place, something somewhere in the universe that you don't understand fully either. So how could you expect to understand God? And I would gently and respectfully say to you as well on that point, please get over yourself. If you're having trouble, if I, oh, I just can't conceive what God would be like, get, just get over yourself, get past yourself. Because there are things that are beyond you and maybe somebody that's a little bit greater. That's, that's the first song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The bottom line there is you are, you exist. The, the Hebrew scriptures, when it, when it uses the personal name of God, it calls him Yahweh, which comes from the Hebrew verb for to be. When, when God introduces himself to Moses, he says, I am, I am who I am. Not I was, not I will be, I, I just am always. He's the ultimate in self-existence. He is unique and one of a kind. The second song, verse nine. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, and here's the second song, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. As you were reading this, along with me, if, if, you're, if you feel the urge that you just wanna say this out loud, I hope you do because we're gonna get a chance to do that in just a little bit, but, but hold on because we're engaging our minds right now. The, the theme of the first song is holy, that God is holy. The theme of the second song is that he is worthy. God can be holy in his self-existence. He doesn't need anybody else to be holy. But for him to be worthy means that someone else is recognizing his worth and that he is deserving of praise and honor. So this speaks to creation. The whole theme of the second song is that God is the creator. He, is, he has no source, but he is the source of everything else. And so the praise is, worthy are you for you created all things. And the Greek word here for created and the Hebrew word for created in Genesis 1-1 that says in the beginning God created, both of those words are used only and ever in reference to God because they both refer to the concept that God is creating from nothing. He is speaking things into existence that were not there before. There's a theological term for that. Ex nihilo, maybe you've heard of that, from out of nothing. So you can impress your friends. God created, you can tell them, well, you know, God created things, ex nihilo, out of nothing. Actually, it doesn't really impress people. It just makes them think you're weird. So maybe, maybe don't use that. But God created God uniquely. He is the only one who can do everything that we create. We are just rearranging things that God already had spoken into Existence. God is 
unique in this, only he can. So the theme of the first song is, God, you are holy. The theme of the second song is, God, you create. You are the creator. The theme of the third song we'll see in a moment, the focus of Revelation 5 shifts. So let's start in verse six, just for sake of time, in, verse, in chapter five. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And here's the third song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We know who this lamb is because the same author who wrote the book of Revelation also wrote the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, he quotes John the Baptist as saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This lamb is, is Jesus Christ. And that slain lamb who gave his life is now alive here in Revelation 5, and he is honored as the Lion of Judah. We, we sang about that earlier. So the progression of songs is you are, you created, and then the third, fourth, and fifth songs are all about you ransomed. You, you ransom. See, something happened between you created and you ransomed. And what happened between those songs is the entrance of sin into the world. It was the choice of human beings who was God's ultimate creation to rebel against his graciousness. I mean, God who generously gave us everything. He, he, he gave us every tree. You can eat from any tree in the garden except this one. And they chose to say, no, we, we've got to have what you have forbidden. And they unraveled then creation for all of us. And every one of us have made that choice as well of rebellion. It looks different. It takes a different form in each one of us. But we all choose our own way instead of God's way. And so there was creation. You created everything very good. And then we broke it. But God said, I'm not going to leave you. He had every right to say, well, I'm done with you then. But he comes back and he ransoms. There, there's two key words in this song in verse nine. You ransomed. The lamb ransomed people for God. The word ransom refers to buying back from slavery. Because when you and I choose to rebel against God, we, we lose our ability to, to save ourselves. We lose our ability to make that right. As hard as we might try to say, well, I wanna make the things that I've done wrong. I wanna compensate for those. We can't do it. And so we are enslaved then to sin and God has to buy us back. How did he do that? The other key word is, in verse nine, you were slain which refers to a violent and merciless death, exactly what Jesus subjected himself to in the Gospels, an incredible demonstration of his love for you and for me. 
that he would say that he would demonstrate his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's why they're singing. That's why they're saying, you are worthy. It's so amazing. What he's done is so amazing. It inspires a fourth song. Verse 11, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands and let that number sink in. If we wanted to really, you know, get technical about this, we could say, well, it's 100 million because a myriad is 10,000. The point here is it's innumerable. Innumerable voices of angels saying this fourth song, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then it crescendos into a final song in verse 13. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. While we're still engaging our minds, notice who the fifth song is directed to to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. This speaks very directly and very clearly to the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is no exalted angel like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, and I'm calling them out by name because you need to understand the deception of something that looks really similar to what the scriptures teach but is way off base. Jesus is not an exalted angel who was the first creation that helped create everything else. Jesus is not a really elevated human as the Mormons teach, and you can become like him too. He's not. When, when John, John's vision leaves us no doubt that when the curtain to heaven is pulled back, we see Jesus, the slain lamb, exalted and honored with the exact same worship that God the Father is honored with. He is no less. He cannot be diminished from who God the Father is. He is God. And so it is appropriate, practical note, it is appropriate to sing songs to Jesus. It's appropriate when we do praise songs to sing them, direct them to Jesus because it's biblical. This is what they're doing here. So it's appropriate to sing to Jesus. Let me take that just a step beyond and I'm gonna rant for, for just a moment, okay? It is also appropriate to sing worship songs that just focus on who God is and not always about what he's done for us, okay? So it is appropriate to sing about what God's done for us and to celebrate that. That is biblical too, okay? But out of the five songs that we just looked at, four out of the five songs don't talk about us. They don't even mention us at all. They're just talking about how amazing God is. The only song that mentions us is the third song that talks about how Jesus has purchased our salvation and we should sing about that and we should celebrate that. But let's be careful of the balance. When we spend all of our time singing about what God's doing for us, God starts to become a lot smaller and he starts to be the, the God that we call on uh, to serve us. 
That's not what we see in Revelation 4 and 5. So I just offer that. Take a little inventory as you're listening to, to Christian music on the radio and stuff. I mean, just be sure that you're, you're taking some time to worship God just for who he is, just because he is so worthy in and of himself, all aside and apart from what he's done for us. All right, I'm done with my rant. All right, now let's engage our imaginations. Okay, I want us to experience a little bit of, of this. Um, notice that the choir grows and gets louder as these songs progress. In, in verse eight, it's four living creatures with that first song. In verse nine, it says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor, verse 10, the 24 elders fall down, and so the second song belongs to the 24 elders. The third song then in verse eight, it says the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And so we're adding four and 24. Then in verse 11, we're taking the living creatures, the elders, and the voice of many angels. And finally, when we get to song five, it's every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And so I want us to experience a little bit of this this morning. So I need four bold, loud voices who are sitting kind of close together to read the part of the four living creatures. So somebody who has a loud, bold voice, you put your hand up and then we'll just draft the other people that are sitting around you. Okay, that's what we did last service. All right, so, so I need one bold, loud voice, okay? Okay, thank you. So, so for, okay, how about you guys in the row in front of you? Okay, you five, okay, we're, we're approximating. Okay, so you're just, uh, you're staying right where you are. You're, stay, you're not moving around, okay? So you're staying right where you are, and you're gonna read really loudly, and why don't we practice, okay? So we're gonna practice. You guys got the shortest song here, all right? Let's go three, two, one. Holy, holy, holy. Awesome, good job. Okay, so that's the four living creatures. Now I need 24 approximately people, and I'm gonna look over on the other side of the room for this. So somebody put your hand up, and then everybody around you gets drafted. That's awesome. Okay, so like three, four rows right there in, in, in right around. Uh, put your hand up again, Jenna. Okay, all right, yeah, there we go. All right, three, four rows around. You're gonna read the second song. Okay, which is in verse 11. So let's practice that. Just you 20-ish people there. All right, three, two, one. Worthy are you, our Lord and God. Nice and loud. Okay, awesome. That sounds great. All right, now, note that for this first and second song. Notice in verse nine, it says, whenever the living creatures, I, I'm not gonna make any comments about you guys being creatures. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks, then the 24 elders fall down, and you don't have to fall down, we're just gonna stay seated. Who is, so, so it's over top of, you guys are speaking your song over top of this song. There's a little bit of chaos going on here. It's okay, all right, it's biblical, all right? So I wanna just practice that part, okay, uh, just, just briefly. So well, now, actually, I'll just describe it and then we'll do it. But so you guys are gonna uh, read your song first and then I'll cue you guys. You guys are gonna keep going. So you're gonna repeat yours and then you guys are gonna read yours. And then when you finish the second song, we're gonna put four and 24 together 
and then you're gonna read the third song together, all right? And we've got the references up there. We're just reading the song, the indented part there. Not, we're not reading the descripting sentences that lead up to it, just the song itself, okay? So that's our three, first three songs, got it? All right, for the fourth song, we're adding in myriads of myriads of angels, and you guys, look kind of like angels here in the center. So the center section, all right, we're gonna add all of you in. So you guys will still, well, by that time, you're gonna be reading together anyway. So by the fourth, then you guys, you four, you 24, and then your center section are gonna be singing the fourth song. When we get to the fifth song, it's everybody. It's everybody in the room. We're all joining in together, okay? So let's practice that, all right? So we're gonna practice that once, and then when we know what we're doing, we're gonna do it one more time, okay? All right, so let's start with verse one. We're gonna keep this all up on the screen so you know where these songs are. Let's go with our four or five living creatures this morning. Three, two, one. Holy, Keep going. Now, song three, four plus 24. Worthy are you, take the scroll, and to open its seals, for you were slain. I'm in five verse nine. And by your blood, you ransomed people. Forgot, did you guys, oh, see where we are? Okay, all right, so, all right, let's, let's stop. Okay, this is a rehearsal. This is, I mean, we're practicing this. Okay, so after you guys finish your second song, you guys are repeating, then I'm gonna cue the third song, and then we're jumping to Revelation 5, 9. So, and you don't have to read, and they sang a new song. Just jump into, worthy are you to take the scroll, okay? Okay, we got that. All right, so we won't do that again. We, we just described it. Now, let's go to song four, and we're adding all of you guys in. Okay, ready? Song four. Worthy is the Lamb. Now, five. To him who sits All right, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna do that one more time. Now we practice, now we know what we're doing. Now we're gonna do it, okay, this is, this is it. And I want you, to the best of your ability, like, like, let's like put some oomph into it. I mean, pretend that you are at a game. Pretend that you're you know, at the Eagles game and they just did something you know, really good, which they've been doing you know, this year, it's not bad. So, um, so get excited about it. I mean, we're, we're talking about the one who is unique, he is the one and only, he is worthy of our praise. So let's start with song one. Holy. Worthy are you, our Lord and God. Song three. 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and power ever and ever. Amen. Um, I know this is when we usually get dismissed, but I have something more for you, so please have a seat for just a moment because we, we owe God our worship. We owe him all of our attention, our affection. We owe him our best attention, affection, allegiance. He owes us nothing. And yet he is so gracious and so generous. When we do worship him, he blesses us. And I wanna give you three ways. I wanna end with three ways that he blesses us. The first is that worship combats idolatry. A young theologian friend of mine, Pastor Jeremy, loves to quote John Calvin to say that our hearts are idle factories and it is the default of our hearts to give our best attention, affection, and allegiance to something other than what is the true God. Some thing, some object, some person, some ambition. It is not only appropriate when we do that towards God, it also diminishes us. Psalm 135 says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. There is, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. We, we become less than God intended for us when we worship that which is not God. Worship strengthens our faith. The second thing that worship does for us, Romans 4 tells us that no unbelief made Abraham waver concerning God's promise to him, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. God, of course, had promised Abraham that he would father a great nation, even though he didn't have any children, but Abraham held on to his faith and he grew stronger in his faith as he worshiped, as he gave glory to God. The third thing that worship does is it prepares our courage. Revelation four and five precede Revelation six to 20 that tell about the devastation that is coming as the final war is waged between God and Satan, between good and evil. There are trials coming. The world will get worse before it gets better. And the question is, are we ready? Are we to, ready to withstand what is to come? Worship prepares our courage because it takes our focus from what is around us and takes it vertically to say there is someone who transcends all that is immediate for us and we need to focus on him. There's a coronation coming in England sometime, I don't know when, in the next week or so, probably some of you know, I don't know, but what we read today in Revelation 5 was a coronation scene for Jesus the King who has been triumphant over death and evil and, and sin. And so if you are weighed down this morning by life, if, if there is a bunch of stuff broken around you to the point where you sometimes are ready to, to give up, then know this. Worship bridges the immediate 
to, from the immediate to the transcendent. It takes us beyond ourselves. I wanna challenge you this, this week, if you're not already doing this, spend the first 10 minutes of your day, just 10 intentional minutes that begin your day to move your vision from the, the horizontal and the things that occupy us and drag us down so many times. Take your view from there to the vertical and look at the God who is over all of that and the God who is triumphant over all of that. We need to focus our attention on him and not ourselves because there is a great concert coming. So we need to get in practice. I mean, you experienced it. We really need to get in practice. We need to be practicing it every day. All right, I know that we are going over time here. We have one more song to sing in praise to the Lord. If you need to go, um, then totally understand. If you are able to stay and sing with us, our prayer team will be available after that song up front here to pray with you. But uh, it hasn't been good this morning to turn our eyes upward. And let's do that one more time.